Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. As you're considering your plans for this new year, we wanted to let you know TBC will be embarking on a Journeys of Paul tour July 7th through 16. We'll step into history and walk where the Apostle Paul walked as we visit Philippi, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, and many other meaningful locations. This tour will bring the scriptures to life with worship services and Bible studies with Pastor Jim. You can learn more at thevillagechapel.com tour. This week, we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. Now, here's Pastor Jim. Do you ever read a passage in the Bible and find yourself scratching your head going, what in the world was that all about? Um, you ever wonder if God gets angry or if Jesus expressed some kind of anger about something? And what was it that might make Jesus upset? Well, Mark's gospel is all about getting us to ask two questions about Jesus. One is, who is Jesus? Just who is he? And secondly, how should we respond to Jesus? We see this over and over and over again, and I've been pointing it out along the way throughout this Timeless Truth podcast. We're in chapter 11 today, and one of the passages that I think might raise some of the questions that I just mentioned, we'll find here in verses 12 through 21. After spending the night in the village of Bethany, about two miles south uh, maybe maybe a little bit more than that, but a couple miles south of Jerusalem. Jesus came back to Jerusalem. And uh, man, what can you say about Jerusalem? Mentioned, uh, I think it's six, 700 times throughout the scripture. Um, it's where the temple was located. So it's the center of all Jewish religious activity. And at least three times a year, um, all Jewish males who lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem were required to travel to the temple for the religious feasts. And uh, we're, on, we're, we're at one of those kinds of occasions here. The Passover is coming up, and uh, it's a time when a lot of folks would travel to Jerusalem. The, the, every road would be packed with pilgrims on their way there. So it's like rush hour um, all the time during uh, Passover. Uh, the historian Josephus even goes on to say at one point that uh, as many as a quarter of a million animals are sacrificed during the Passover feast in Jerusalem back in the first century. So this is the setting that we have. And here comes Jesus. And this most interesting thing happens with a fig tree. And maybe you already are guessing what I'm about to read. But it says here on the next day, which we're going to I'm going to guess that it's a Monday. So uh, as we had just finished reading about that first Palm Sunday, Jesus coming um, from over the Mount of Olives and down that road, as I've traveled that road five or six times now, and it's quite steep, comes down and, and hits the valley and then goes back up into Jerusalem. It's, it's an amazing uh, journey to make. And you can see as you come up from the Mount of Olives, you can, you can look over and you can see the city of Jerusalem. It's just an amazing sight. It's just moving. And uh, to think about what it might have been like when the Jewish temple was standing, man, that, that just blows my mind and my imagination. But the next day, 
when they had departed from Bethany, he became hungry. So Jesus is on his way, coming back to Jerusalem from Bethany. That's where Mary, Martha, Lazarus all lived. And you'll remember, as we studied in the last episode, the the, the, the band of pilgrims following Jesus are probably numbering in the hundreds or thousands and included all kinds of people. Um, the formerly dead Lazarus being one of them, Mary Martha Shirley there and a part of it, Mary Magdalene, formerly demon-possessed. Uh, all of these folks, lives transformed and changed by their encounters with Jesus, blind Bartimaeus, etc. On and on it goes. Um, seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, and here's Jesus on the next day, likely in the morning, heading for Jerusalem. Seeing at distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he answered and said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And then Mark tells us this, and his disciples were listening. All right, so right there, okay, it's kind of like, you know, back in the day, they, remember, there's no drive-through for Chick-fil-A or McDonald's or Wendy's or anything like that. Um, if you're going to get something to eat, you're likely going to find it in an agricultural community like this. Uh, you see a tree that has all kinds of foliage on it. And what you need to know about fig trees is that even though it wasn't the season for the ripe figs just yet, likely if this fig tree had leaves on it, it would have been already uh, time to assume it would have pagium, the kind of nodules, the, the early fruit, if you will. And the locals would eat this early fruit, even though it wasn't the ripe figs. They would eat that kind of thing. And Jesus looking at it, seeing that the leaves are already there, certainly would have expected there to be pagium there. And so he goes over and finds that there's not a bit of anything to eat. It's just foliage. And he curses this tree. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Talking to a tree. Jesus talking to a tree. He's talked to, he's spoken to a lot of parts of his creation, mostly people, but he's also spoken to demons, part of the spirit world. He's also spoken to the storms and told them to be quiet, to be still, if you will. And now here he is talking to a tree and his disciples were listening. What is going on here? And um, I'm just going to continue to read and going to suggest to you that Mark is, uh, is doing a very clever thing here with the literature. Uh, some theologians will call it a Markan sandwich. And we've just read the first piece of bread. Now we're about to get the center of the sandwich and we'll come back to another piece of bread in just a minute. Well, they came uh, to Jerusalem and he, Jesus, entered the temple and began to cast out those who were buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. It's interesting that he says that. That he, that he clarifies with great specificity those who were selling doves. More about that in a minute. 
He would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He began to teach and to say to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him. For um, all the multitude was astonished at his teaching. And so here you got Jesus. What's he doing? He's, he's, he's cursing a fig tree. And now he's in the temple. He's literally turning over tables. There are animals flapping their wings and flying everywhere. There are lambs and sheep and scattering everywhere, goats scattering everywhere. There's money, coins rolling all over the floor as he turns over these tables. And it's like he's a crazy man. He's just gone berserk. And then he begins to teach the crowds who are all standing, standing back, but at the same time, really curious looking in. And he says, he, he, quote, he quotes here from Isaiah and from Jeremiah. He says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And there's a bunch of uh, really interesting things being said there in those passages from Isaiah and Jeremiah. First of all, that it's to be a house of prayer. And uh, secondly, that it's supposed to be for all nations. And there he was, likely in the court of Gentiles, the outer ring of the temple, where not only the Jewish people, but as well, the Gentiles could come if they wanted to offer their and express their worship of Yahweh. And it's there that Annas and Caiaphas, the two kind of, uh, uh, I think one's a father-in-law, the other's a son-in-law to each other, and they're sort of sharing the high priestly role right now. And yet they had set up commerce in the, in the, in the court of Gentiles. And not only had they set up commerce, but they were taxing at a high rate all of those who would be coming to the Passover feast. And if they wanted to in any way um, uh, purchase an animal to offer a sacrifice, uh, there would be heavy taxation because what they would require is that is if you came from anywhere around the Mediterranean, you brought your uh, your coins in, you would first have to exchange your coins, whether it's Roman coinage uh, or some other kind of coinage from some other place around the uh, Mediterranean. You'd have to exchange it for temple shekels. To do that, there would be a fee. And Annas and Caiaphas in their booths, they would have their money changers and they would charge that fee and they'd be just making money hand over fist. Not only on the exchange rate, but if you if you got change back, they would also tax that. If you needed to buy and purchase uh, an animal to sacrifice, they were making money off of that as well. And he mentions here specifically that Jesus was really upset at those who were selling doves. Why would he say that? Why would that be what Mark highlights about Jesus' anger toward what was going on in the temple? Well, the doves were, and doves and pigeons, same word in the Greek, doves were the, the sacrificial animal of the poor. 
And so there these religious leaders are making money, extorting, really, at at ridiculous rates, just extorting money from even the poor. And that just really set Jesus off in his righteous anger at their uh, greed and all that they had done. So he... He, um, uh, the chief priests hear about all of this and they, the chief priests and the scribes heard about this and they began talking about how they might destroy him. Remember, that's echoing what happened in um, Mark chapter three, I think it's verse six, where it's the Pharisees and the Herodians who are in were planting, planning to, to do away with Jesus, and they were looking for a way to actually kill him. Now the chief priests and the scribes are going to be in on it. And so now we have this unholy alliance, so upset. Why? Because Jesus, in his righteous anger, is really upset at not only what's going on, but what's not going on in the temple. They're not praying. They're, they're making it hard for the poor to come in and worship uh, because of their taxation and their um, uh, just, just wanting to profiteer over uh, the whole situation. And so these guys are upset because Jesus is, is sort of shutting down their money machine, right? And they were afraid of him for the multitude was astonished at his teaching. This is just, I mean, what a dramatic event this must have been. And um, I can't wait to to sort of get home and interview some of the people who were there that day and find out what it was like. Animals running everywhere, like I say, coins flying everywhere. Jesus not caring about the money at all. He's really concerned about what was going on, that they were robbing the poor, and then what wasn't going on. They were literally making it hard for the Gentiles to actually worship Yahweh. Um, they wanted to keep them shut out. And so that's why they made it so difficult for them. Well, when evening came, verse 19 says, they would go out of the city. And at, that means Jesus and those who were followers of Jesus. And uh, as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots up. Oh, here's that second piece of bread in the Markin sandwich. And being reminded Peter said to him, meaning Jesus, Rabbi, behold, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And you can, you can just, you know, I'm trying to put a little bit of that, uh, their astonishment uh, into the way I read it as Peter said it to Jesus. Um, and we're going to pick up in the next episode because what follows on this account where, where Peter recognizes all of this, um, I think helps us understand a little bit more about what's really important. See, the cursing of the fruitless fig tree uh, is really the only miracle of Jesus where he destroys something to teach a lesson. He calms storms. He, he drives demons out of all kinds of different people. Um, and yes, some of those demons go on to do s- some destructive stuff like the 2,000 pigs on the other side of the Sea of Galilee that were destroyed. But Jesus didn't destroy those pigs. Uh, those demons destroyed those pigs. Um, and so here's the only 
miracle, the only exercise of Jesus' power that ends up in some kind of destruction. And I think it's important for us to note that, but to note also that Jesus as creator of all that exists, and for that you you can cross-reference chapter one of John's gospel, chapter one of Colossians, chapter one of Hebrews, um, and you just find out that Jesus is involved in the creation event all the way back in Genesis chapter one. And so by right of creation, he owns everything that exists and he wants to use one of his trees, one that is already showing signs that it's on its way out. And he wants to use that as a parable, if you will, to, uh, you know, in this Markin sandwich, which is really, you could call it a temple sandwich because of what's in the middle of the two pieces of bread. Fig tree, um, uh, not the fruitless fig, fig tree is one piece of bread. And then the, the withered fig tree is the other piece of bread. And in the middle, is the temple, the religious system of the day that also was fruitless and it was going to wither. And the temple itself, Jesus would even predict, it would be destroyed because uh, there wouldn't be one stone left on top of another. And that happens not too uh, many years after Jesus ascends back into heaven in uh, 70 AD when when the Romans come and uh, under uh, the emperor there, they liter- and, the, and the general Titus, they literally dismantle the entire uh, temple. And so here in this Mark and Sandwich, we see this amazing skill of, uh, of Mark from a liter- literary standpoint to put this together and in the middle to drop in the story of the fruitless faith of the religious system of that time. Um, These religious leaders were guilty not only of indifference to the poor, but exploitation of the poor. And, you know, if you really want to make God mad, you see it right here. If you want to make Jesus mad, mm, um, take advantage of the helpless, the defenseless. Whether you're talking about a baby in the womb an elderly person, a sick person, anyone with mental or physical disabilities, the poor, the powerless, um, somebody from another country that maybe looks different than you. I mean, just just the, the way we can be so mean-spirited, the way we can allow so many, um, so much ugliness to rule in our hearts and thereby... Uh, discredit the gospel itself because it it surely isn't visible in our words and deeds. And these guys were supposed to be the trustworthy shepherds of God's people. Um, and they were using the flock uh, for their own advantage. This was false religion and injustice all rolled into one. And in the cleansing of the temple by Jesus, we see um, that he is coming after their lack of authentic faith and worship, their lack of prayer, and their wanting to prevent others and make it hard for others to come before God. They were a bunch of godless profiteers masquerading as religious leaders. Now, we have some of those in our own day and time, uh, to be sure. And so it's easy for us to see how that can happen. Um, the 
The important thing for us as we study this passage is to make sure that's not happening to us, to make sure that our faith bears fruit, that our faith has roots and bears fruit. We talk about that all the time here at the Village Chapel. Two quotes before I let you go. Um, James uh, Edwards has a great commentary on Mark's gospel. He says, The leafy fig tree, with all its promise of fruit, is as deceptive as the temple was, which, despite its religious commerce and activity, is really an outlaw's hideout. The curse of the fig tree is a symbol of God's judgment of the temple. That's a great summary statement uh, of what this passage is really all about. And in the 19th century, um, J.C. Ryle, some of you will remember that name, an evangelical Anglican bishop. He was actually the uh, first Anglican bishop of Liverpool, I think it was. Um, He said this, Christianity is eminently a practical religion. Sound doctrine is is its root and foundation, but holy living should always be its fruit. And if we want to know what holy living is, let us often think about who Jesus calls blessed. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Um, uh, you know, so just over and over again, you see, as you, as you watch Jesus and you listen to his teaching and you see who he calls blessed, Blessed are those who who are persecuted for my name's sake, okay? Um, So over and over again, it's Jesus' love for the poor, the sick, the needy, his compassion uh, flowing uh, towards sinners of all stripes and all kinds. Well, I want to explore uh, a little bit more in the next episode, what's tied right directly to this in verses 22 through 26. So I hope you'll join me for that episode as well. Uh, what was Jesus talking about there in those verses? And you can read that, read ahead if you would like, but what is he talking about when he says that there's prayer that can move mountains? Um, what did Jesus think the purpose of prayer is? Um, what did he teach about prayer? Does prayer work? And is there a connection between a fruitful faith and effectiveness in our prayers? I hope you'll join me tomorrow and we'll take another look at Mark chapter 11. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this passage. And while on the surface, uh, it puzzles us a little bit, um, just on the surface reading, uh, Lord, I think we can all see that you really want us to have a fruitful faith, um, that you would like very much um, for our words and deeds to be useful uh, in your kingdom plans and purposes, that others especially might know about your beauty and majesty and your grace and mercy, and that the gospel might be audible and visible in our words and in our relationships, in our deeds, in our work, etc., etc. Lord, work through us today. Give us opportunities uh, to love you and love others well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. 
You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At The Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.